Welcome to the Consulta Cairo podcast, brought to you by the Australian Chiropractors Association. The ACA is the peak body representing chiropractors in Australia. These podcasts are all about helping you find health and wellness in your life. On the podcast, you'll be hearing from various experts on a range of health-related topics. These experts will present the latest research and offer tips for you to self-manage health issues and maintain good health. You'll also learn a little about chiropractic and what role a chiropractor might have on your health team. And now, it's over to your host, Dr. Anthony Coxon. Welcome to the Consulta Cairo podcast. I'm your podcast host, Anthony Coxon. Before we dive into today's podcast, if you haven't already done so, you can hit the follow button. You can also share this podcast with a loved one so that they can learn more about how to optimize their health and well-being. Today, the conversation is all about torticollis, also known as wry neck, and this can be a particularly painful condition. Fortunately, most people with torticollis improve well, especially with the right sort of care. And to understand more about torticollis, I'm joined on the Consulta Cairo podcast today with chiropractor Dr. Anthony Nicholson. Now, in addition to running a full-time practice, Anthony is Chief Executive of Chiropractic Development International, which is a leading provider of postgraduate education for chiropractors across Australia and New Zealand. We're certainly des- delighted to have Anthony share his wisdom with our listeners today. Hi, Anthony. Welcome to the Consult Acaro podcast. Thank you very much, Anthony. Nice to be here. Now, let's start with the obvious question. What actually is torticollis? Well, look, it is a good question. Um, the term torticollis itself comes from Latin, uh, which means tortoise, meaning twisted, and column, meaning neck. So uh, it's a very common term for a variety of conditions that all involve really some form of head or neck dystonia or muscle spasm. So I guess the first important point to make is that torticollis is not actually a diagnosis as such. So it's not a specific diagnosis, but it's really more of a symptom of a broad array of conditions. So I think the first and most important step uh, when seeing a chiropractor is really to make an accurate diagnosis for what uh, is actually causing the torticollis. So I know in my personal experience, torticollis uh, is close to my heart because my very first experience with a chiropractor when I was 17 years old, was uh, with a particularly stiff and spasmy neck. Um, my mother at the time, who was seeing a chiropractor, was uh, clever enough to take me over to her uh, local chiropractor. It was a great experience for me, and 33 years later, I'm still a practicing chiropractor. Thinking about me as a 17-year-old student, though, um, and understanding the people that I've seen with torticollis over the years, it seems to be a condition that affects much more the younger population than the middle or older population. Well, yes, that's right. And you're describing a very common presentation of torticollis there. Um, and look, in very simple terms, young necks tend to be more flexible. And so the joints have an overall greater mobility and can therefore access more end range positions. But greater mobility requires greater control and that's where the problems are thought to arise. So let's talk about it at an anatomical level and working our way towards that exact diagnosis. What what actually happens and why do the muscles spasm in this way? I mean, that's a good question. I think this particular mechanism that you're referring to here 
the classic uh, young person starts suddenly on waking. They may have had their neck in a sort of a screen-type posture the day before. There might be some stress. Um, this sort of mechanism usually involves a nipping or a pinching of a lining of a joint in the neck. So you can imagine these neck joints. They're called facet joints. They're a bit like roof tiles in the way they're structured. So you have this one bone overlapping another. So mm -hmm. if you think of roof tiles, they could glide around. They can glide up and down and side to side. And the joint itself is enclosed within a membrane called a synovium membrane. And the membrane secretes lubricating fluid and, and keeps the joint healthy. So if you think of one tile or one bone gliding all the way to the end of its range, what that does is leaves part of the underlying joint surface exposed. And so one of the functions of the membrane is to lie down over that exposed joint surface to keep it lubricated, much like your eyelid, for example, would keep your eyeball lubricated. Uh, and the problem, though, is once a joint like that has been open for, say, a long period of time, let's say someone might have been sleeping on their stomach with the head rotated one way or holding it in a certain posture for a lengthy period. When you then suddenly move the neck back and the joint glides back, sometimes uh, if the control mechanisms aren't quick enough, then that piece of membrane can be pinched or caught within the gliding joint surfaces. And what that does is provoke a very sudden and strong muscular guarding reaction and thus producing the type of presentation you'd see as a torticollis. And it seems to be, and I guess the type of torticollis we're talking about here is that um, typical wry neck. It seems to be very asymmetrical in that uh, it affects primarily one side, or at least we have patients who can turn the head sort of okay to one side, but not at all the other side. That's is, that's your experience of how torticollis typically presents, is it? Oh, definitely. I think it tends to be related to a specific tissue on one side of the neck versus the other, one of the joints. Uh, and therefore, you'll have, often it's described as a cock-robin type position. You can imagine a cock-robin sort of tipping its head one way to listen for a worm and sort of turning its head the opposite way. So you often see this uh, positional relationship where a patient is reasonably comfortable in neutral. So if they're holding their head still, they sort of can cope. But the minute you try and rotate or turn the neck or tip the neck, especially anyway towards that very sensitive piece of tissue, then the muscles soon uh, spasm quite sharply and severely. Um, and so that tends to be a common mechanism in a younger person. We see it more with conditions like hypermobility, as you'd imagine, uh, with, and that affects quite a, quite a large percentage of young people, in fact, uh, well, people at all, all ages, but certainly with the young uh, and very mobile, uh, hyper-flexible ligaments. The neck can occupy all of these different positions, uh, and so that's why they're particularly predisposed to this. Now, our conversation today is more about the this wry neck, young person's type of experience, but as you mentioned, there are different diagnoses that will uh, show up with torticollis. Um, I'm thinking particularly of congenital torticollis, or more of a neurological dystonia. Can you just quickly sort of talk a little bit about what they are? Sure. Um, well, torticollis being a symptom presentation or 
a symptom of a range of underlying causes. It can happen really at any stage of life, from newborns right up to uh, middle age and older. So as you can imagine, there are different mechanisms affecting each of those patient populations. So congenital tolicollis is usually thought to result from uh, positioning of the baby in the womb or some sort of traumatic birth process, whether it be forceps or the head uh, you know, being tipped one way uh, and the muscles are become traumatised. There might be some inflammation in there as well. But we also know that there are a range of developmental anomalies, different shapes to the vertebral bones and other malformations up there that can all present as a torticollis. Thankfully, though, congenital presentations really make up a very small percentage. So you're talking less than one, you know, two or three percent, perhaps, uh, of presentations. And usually uh, a, a subset of those will sort of resolve if it's on the milder end. Some of them may need other interventions, you know, in extreme cases that might need surgery and those sorts of things. But there's a very obvious sort of cause a lot of the time for those presentations. Um, so that you're dealing with around birth at that stage. Now, as we get into childhood, um, torticollis can actually be a migraine equivalent. Now, by that, we mean an expression of hypersensitivity of the nervous system itself. So we know in children that start getting repetitive torticollis, for example, that can be a childhood manifestation of what would later be migraine in, uh, mm -hmm. say, a teenager and, and, or an adult. And so... That's also often associated with a little bit of, say, hypermobility in the neck, things like that. Um, and we also know that torticollis can be an expression of other conditions, such as uh, upper respiratory tract infections, abscesses, and all sorts of things like that. So a whole range of different pathologies can result in spasm of the neck muscles. And that's why it's so important to consider other associated symptoms, other medical conditions, and to be really evaluating a patient presenting with a torticollis uh, comprehensively and ensuring that you have a, a really accurate diagnosis to start with. Now, the mechanical causes for torticollis, like the one I just mentioned with joint tissue being nipped or something like that, just happens to be one of the most common presentations. So that's, that's something we see a lot of. Uh, and thankfully responds well to treatment. Now, by the time you get into middle age, for example, we know that pain sources within discs of the neck can also trigger protective guarding spasm and muscular spasm and can present as a torticollis as well. Now, at this stage, you're getting more, say, gradual wear and tear changes in the neck uh, over time. We know that beyond around about 30 or 40 years of age, we start to see these types of wear and tear changes in discs. And you can think of a disc as being layered like the layers of an onion. And depending upon a range of lifestyle factors to the way we use our neck on a daily basis, postural strain and stress and all those sorts of things, previous injuries, whiplash injuries, um, that you can get little fissures or very tiny little tears forming in deep layers in the, in the, in the disc, in the neck. Now, only the outer casing of the disc has any nerve endings in it. So sometimes these little fissures can gradually progress. And then just one day without any warning, 
seemingly trivial movement can trigger this guarding spasm in the neck when these nerves start to register the presence of one of these fishes and create a guarding spasm. So this tends to be a little lower down in the neck rather than higher in the neck with the younger population. And so once again, we're taking a comprehensive history, considering the age of the patient, the type of onset, the context, and then identifying the most likely cause, which then guides the most appropriate management. And then and as you, later again, yep, sorry. <clears throat> no, I was just going to say that uh, as you've sort of alluded to, the the actual diagnosis very much will guide what the treatment will, will be. Um, if we go back to thinking about the mechanical, most common version that commonly affects, uh, as you said, younger flexible people, what is the, the best treatment and how long do these types of torticollis generally take to settle down? Well, the normal, say, garden variety torticollis, if you like, that is a mechanical insult of a tissue in the neck, say all of a sudden, think of it a bit like a sprained ankle almost, a bit like a mild rolling of the ankle, a bit of a loss of control of movement and uh, trauma to a ligament or a bit of joint. Uh, in most cases, you're talking a few days, perhaps a week or two at the outside for those. Mm. They tend to respond quite pleasingly, and it, which is reassuring to patients, that's for sure, given it can be a very dramatic onset and mm, it can feel absolutely. absolutely debilitating and yet can turn around quite quickly in most cases. Um, so in terms of the best treatment, um, well, again, that very much depends upon a variety of factors. Uh, very broadly, the age of the patient, the mechanism you're dealing with, whether there are any associated symptoms, for example, things like fever or other history of whiplash injury or infection, those things change the diagnostic uh, process quite substantially. Mm. Um, so once we're talking about a mechanical uh, mechanism, then the treatment itself, again, I think there's this oversimplification, if you like, or call it a misconception that equates any visit with a chiropractor to having manipulation. And I think, mm. uh, you know, we run into this misconception that chiropractic is viewed as a treatment, that if you go and see a chiropractor, you're going there for chiropractic treatment, which is manipulation. And I think that is a little dangerous in terms of a misconception because chiropractic is not a treatment. It's a profession, uh, much like medicine is a profession. And so the very first thing that goes on is, is a diagnostic process where we're evaluating based upon our scope of expertise, accurately diagnosing the cause of the problem. And then from there, we can really bring an entire spectrum of therapeutic applications to bear on something like torticollis. So that might be uh, small, gentle impulses from an impulse device, or it might be gentle forms of mobilization or glides or finger pressure over the joint that's, that's restricted in terms of the muscle. And even things like neuro-rehabilitation techniques where we use reflex connections between the way the eyes and neck muscles uh, operate to inhibit and relieve muscular spasm and restore mobility in gentle ways. And that can reach and merge up to higher levels of the spectrum where you're using very gentle, specific adjustments in certain circumstances. But it's really going to come down to the patient, certainly any patient with hypermobility, 
you're, you're talking very mid-range positions and you, and it's not about improving range of motion in those patients. In fact, it's more about control. Torticollis comes down very much to a breakdown in the fine control mechanisms for joint position and stability than it does uh, mobility necessarily. So... And I suppose if we're going to help these people beyond just the hands-on treatment that uh, chiropractors might provide, but in terms of uh, rehabilitation and advice, uh, I would think given that we're talking about a, a population that is often hypermobile, uh, discouraging them from sleeping on their stomach might be might be one bit of advice, um, and perhaps stabilisation exercises for the neck might be might be appropriate for these people. Would you think? Oh, definitely. I think. I think it requires a well-conceived, comprehensive approach where you're assessing risk factors. So if someone is hypermobile, how are they going about their day? Are they, are they set up well with their desk and their screens? I mean, you can imagine the neck being a very complex joint system with all of these little motion possibilities in a joint column. And... Each of those little movements need to be talking back to the brain to make sure that the connections, the flexible connections in the brain that map those movements and control them are really active all the time. So we hear of this concept of plasticity and flexibility of, of connections and the use it or lose it principle. So I think if people are holding their neck in very static postures for long periods of time, especially if they're head hanging, looking down, then you really are reducing the health of that stability system over time. And that's going to make someone more vulnerable to a sudden unchecked or wayward movement of those little joints, and you're more likely to injure tissue. So I think we're looking at the type of person that's involved, what they're doing day to day, uh, how they're living their life. Can we give them some little balance exercises, perhaps even some neck eye movement control exercises to help them uh, sense where their neck is in a healthier way, things like that. And then again, advice regarding sleeping position, um, those sorts of things can go a long way. Sometimes even, you know, pillows, the way they're supporting their neck at night, uh, that sort of thing. So yeah, there's look, there's a, there's a, a number of ways we can go about it. That's for sure. Anthony, I think our conversation today has been fantastic and I'm hoping that'll be very helpful for people who are interested in or experiencing torticollis and want to do whatever they can do to get over it and uh, prevent it in the future. It certainly sounds like being active, being upright, getting off the phone on your mobile device and uh, maybe doing a little bit of uh, exercise to improve tone in the muscles of the neck and the shoulders and the nervous system in general is uh, sounds like it's the way to go. I definitely think so. Well, that's it from me. Thanks so much for listening. If you or a loved one would like to consult with an ACA-accredited chiropractor to discuss your torticollis or indeed any other health issue, simply go to www.chiro.org.au. I hope this podcast has been helpful in your quest for optimal health and look forward to chatting with you again on our next Consult a Cairo podcast.